Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. It's where Out of Print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Today, we're going to be talking about Dungeonscape and the announcement about the upcoming Adventurer's Handbook and Princes of the Apocalypse from Sasquatch Game Studios. But first, let's meet our panel. We have a couple new faces and the return of an old friend today, so I'm going to be asking people to introduce themselves by telling us how long they've been playing D&D and any other credentials they might want to share. With me today at the roundtable are Ray Fallon. Hello, I'm Ray Fallon. Should I tell them now how long I've been playing D&D? Yes. All right. Uh, I've been playing since I was about 14 years old, I think. We started with second edition, but very quickly brushed on to third. Nice, nice. Yeah. And you have played fourth and fifth as well, I can attest. I have. Thank you. So, All right, Greg Blair, how long have you been playing D&D? Howdy, I've been playing since probably about the same time as Ray, maybe 14, so 15, 16 years, but I'll play darn near anything you put a book in front of me for. <laughs> That's a good attitude to have. It's great to have you back at the table, Greg. It's good to be back at the table, James. <laughs> All right, and a new face with us at the round table. You might know him as Jester David or D&D Jester on Twitter, or you may know him as Dave Gibson. Dave Gibson how long have you been playing D&D, and what are your credentials? I just uh, did the math. I've been playing D&D for 21 years, so my Ooh. hobby can now drink in the States. <laughs> and I'm a uh, self-published uh, book writer. I'm a blogger, web cartoonist, all-around renaissance gamer. Yes, absolutely. And we'll have all of your information where people can check things out in the show notes. And you'll also be telling us all about it at the end of the show, for sure. Uh, great to have you with us today, Dave. I'm really excited you're here. You know who else I'm excited for, guys? John Fisher is joining us today at the roundtable. John Fisher, how long have you been playing D&D? Uh, James, I've been playing uh, about as long as Greg, I would imagine. Maybe a little bit less. Uh, I started around 15 as well. I, I think I started right when 3.0 came out, uh, played with my friends in high school, continued on through 4th and 5th edition, uh, and I've been playing 5th edition, obviously you know in your game for the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. We started as soon as the first playtest packet came out, and we've been having a ball since. Um, I did not realize until right now that when I started playing, 3rd Ed was already out. Uh, so now I am pissed that I've ever had to play second edition. <laughs> oh, the grognards are not going to like you saying that on the podcast. Well, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, speaking of old editions, today's get to know you question is: What do you think is the silliest spell in any edition of D and D? Uh, and Ray Fallon, let's start with you. You know, I was trying to think of this for a while, and I have to go with a forty-way tie between any spell that. <laughs> Starts from Bigby or Tensor or Otto. Uh, so I'll put it as what the hell is it? Otto's like irrevocable dance or irresistible dance. Yeah, irresistible dance. dance. Oh, stealing my thunder here, man. You're stealing it. Uh, I'm sorry. All right, you know what? I'll retract it and I'll stick with Bigby's crushing or grasping hand. 
uh, I never played any of the realms where those people existed. So to me, it was just like this guy wanted to invent a spell where he has the Super Smash Brothers hand come in and attack people. Uh, I don't know. It, to me, it was always seemed ridiculous. I'm going to just point out the Grognards are really going to hate you because <laughs> all of those spells are from Greyhawk. I the know. <laughs> I was going to go with Otto's Irresistible Dance because it's an 8th level wizard spell that makes you dance. <laughs> but I guess I'll go with my backup, Defenestrating Sphere. It's like somebody wanted to show off their vocabulary. It makes you save two or three times in a row to get tossed in the air. It's completely absurd. It doesn't even have anything to do with windows. I don't understand how this spell exists. <laughs> ah, that's also a good pick. We got some good picks. There are quite a few silly spells in D&D. Dave Gibson, what is the silliest spell in D&D? I'm going to go with the something very esoteric, and it's uh, Noel's Reckless Dweamer mm. from like the second edition Tome of Magic, because they had this wild mage, uh, the Wild Surge table, which is having a comeback, and the spell just let you trigger a Wild Surge. Cast <laughs> the spell, Wild Surge. <laughs> John Fisher, what is the silliest spell in any edition of Dungeons & Dragons? So I, too, thought of uh, the Otto's Irresistible Dance and Tasha City's Laughter Spells, but... Um, I thought that was, was probably going to get taken by somebody, and I was right. Uh, so uh, I, I I was thinking of something that, for the from a fluff point of view, I thought was a silly spell, and also from uh, just my possibly false memories of playing Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two uh, when those were new games. Uh, and that spell is grease because you are coating the floor in pig fat, and I know it's pig fat because. In Baldur's Gate 2, the icon for Greece, if I remember correctly, was a picture of a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and you're making your enemies fall over and flounder around just in pig fat all over the floor. And just the visual of that, I find very enjoyable. Wow. That is, um, I've never played Baldur's Gate, but the fact that it's pig fat makes me highly entertained. <laughs> But let's get right into the meat. We kind of have a lot of ground to cover. So the first thing we're going to talk about, Dungeonscape. It's the digital companion. It's going to be on Android and iOS and on the web for people to make characters, to sit at the table and sort of share around maps and messages and things like that. It's essentially, you know, it's supposed to be. It's being held as like... You know, the the fourth edition dungeon tools, but, you know, easier to use and they're on tablet and you'll be able to do all kinds of stuff with them that you weren't before. Uh, so on Dungeonscape's website, dnddungeonscape.com, uh, they have some blog posts that I would like to talk about. The first is called Solving Digital Distribution for Dungeonscape. It was written on August 29th by Newtonian. And the gist of this article is that they're still working on how exactly people are going to be able to share resources through the Dungeonscape app. But he says that you will not be able to share copies of the player's handbook. So just to give everybody context, the Dungeonscape pricing plan looks like it's shaping out to probably be, according to these uh, posts that we're seeing, that the app itself is going to be free. It'll be free to use on the web. Comes with a free mini-adventure and some pre-gens. But then anything else you want, you're going to have to purchase within the app. So even if you already have a copy of the Player's Handbook, you're going to have to 
purchase a, a digital copy through this app. No word on what the price will be yet uh, for that or anything. And, of course, no word yet on when Dungeonscape will officially be released. But it sounds like even once you buy that, you're not going to be able to share those resources. They do go on to say that DMs who buy things like adventures and that sort of thing will be able to buy and share maps with their players and other pertinent information that might be part of that adventure and that they'll you know everybody will be able to send sort of secret messages to each other through the app uh you know essentially like a texting kind of thing so those are all things that that will be or won't be within the map uh so i want to ask you guys sort of what you are thinking about all of this john fisher let's start with you well, it's it's interesting because they give a lot of information in the three different articles, but especially in the first article about they're very transparent in terms of process. I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, they're as transparent as they can be while still, you know, not letting the cat out of the bag. And I understand, I mean, they talked about, again, in the third article about why they can't talk about pricing and things like that. But in, in a lot of ways, I think pricing is what's going to matter a lot to people. You know, they talk about how, buying a player's handbook basically doesn't mean anything within the app. It's hard for me to say if that's, you know, acceptable for, or not for me as a consumer because I don't, we don't know the price rate, but it's, it's really just going to come down to what's available to start. I think you sort of get the idea that maybe what's in the basic rules is going to come standard in, with the app. And then for anything else, you'll have to buy piecemeal. It's unclear to me how people are going to use the the data that they would be buying piecemeal and, you know, if, if I'm rolling up a character, I say, oh, okay, I only want the fighter information, so I buy the fighter packet, and then my character dies on the second session. Then do I play a fighter again or not? And that really just comes down to the pricing, which they can't talk about, so that's problematic. Yeah. Do you think that it'll be set up that way? It seemed to me like the way that they were doing it, it'll be a one-time purchase for most players. Like, if they release new classes and stuff, I guess, will that be considered the same as, like, errata, where they're updating things for you? Or will that be a totally new purchase? Yeah, my impression was that you would buy, like, the player's handbook information, and you would get that. So maybe errata would get automatically updated, but new classes and whatnot, like, from the Elemental Evil work or whatever, um, you'd have to buy that separately. And I agree with John that I think the real kicker here is going to be the price point. But I also want to note for anyone that hasn't read these articles that uh, the developer of Dungeonscape has no control over pricing or the fact that, hey, I already have a PHP. Why can't I have this module for free? That's all wizards. Mm -hmm. So all those decisions are up to them. They're just making the app. They can't make any of those decisions. So just to be fair to those guys. Yeah, and that is a very important detail to point out, right? That that these guys are working with wizards, and it's up to them. They're sort of in a in, between a rock and a hard place because, from what I understand, uh, there's still uh, a tech startup. The, the company is still a tech startup, uh, so in a lot of ways, they have to deal with all of those problems. But because they're working uh, for an established company with an established fan base, they have to deal with customers who already have expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely agree with Greg. I, I, I'm not, I would never, I would never put this all at Dungeonscape's feet and say, you know, these are the people to blame. I don't, I don't, if, if there's an issue and I mean, honestly, there probably wouldn't be like, I, I think that there's plenty of smart people working on this and they're going to know to a certain extent how they're going to be able to get their product to their, their audience. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, 
it'll be interesting to see how this works out for for them as a startup because you know imagine dealing with the uh, this is actually a, a maybe too extreme of an example but imagine dealing with all of the uh, demand for for features on the new iPhone and you're just a, a 10 person company that that got hired by Apple to make it I mean that that that's maybe a smaller it's a smaller scale thing but that's really what we're looking at here and uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see how that works out the program does sound a little bit like uh, Pure Labs for Pathfinder, which has, seems to have a similar setup, where you buy indi- access to individual books on a book-by-book basis. And those price out at about $10. So that might be the what uh, Dungeonscape might be comparable to, surprising-wise. Yeah, I think that'd be the real... I think $10 is a good price point. Like, I would, I would buy it at $10. I like the, you know, I have the PHP. I think it's beautiful and gorgeous, but I would pay 10 bucks for the added convenience of having it on my computer. Um, I'm curious what the rest of y'all would pay, would be willing to pay. $10 is probably about the cutoff for me, maybe 15 Yeah, $10 is where I would definitely buy, 10 and below. Uh, the 10 and 20 is where I would have to definitely consider it. But I would expect the price to be up around $30. Uh, it's just my guess. Because, I, I don't know, I'm thinking about most like textbooks, school textbooks. When they put out a digital version, it is not nearly the discount you would hope it would be off of face value. And it seems like their plan is not just to have all of this you know, software for, to use, for you to use, but to have it also be an ebook that you can straight up read. It's... I don't know, it seemed in the articles to me to sound like they definitely have that intention. So if they are putting just the straight up book out there as a digital version, uh, I cannot imagine it will be, or I can imagine, but I don't think it will be less than $30, uh, which for me is just too much money. I mean, I know it's tough to put blame anywhere, but you know, you pay $50 for a book, you don't want to pay even half of that again to have a different version of, the, or not a different version, a different copy of the same version of the book it just seems like too much yeah um i mean again we're obviously all being speculative here but uh by the way i am i'm looking at the that first article again and they talk about they, they say quote content will be broken out to support smaller incremental purchases so maybe they'll have like something where you can buy the whole player's handbook but maybe they'll also have like you can buy a classes pack or a races pack i i mean i don't know that's all they really say about it but if they are planning on breaking it out in smaller purchases to to soften the cost impact, as they say, that really does indicate to me that, that it's probably not going to be $10. And the, the other thing is there has, there have been, I, at least from, you know, listening to what people were saying at, at, uh, at Gen Con interviews, like people were talking about D and D not, they were, they never said the words loss leader, but that the game isn't where the money is. The game is sort of a, a way to keep a, a, a rabid fan base Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to say whether or not Dungeonscape will be a similar loss leader or because it's a larger company, if they'll be expecting the digital tool to make more money. And, and really, it's all going to come down to the player's handbook, right? I mean, in, in the print form, the player's handbook is going to get a lot more copies purchased than the DM guide, probably. And I would imagine the same is true on, on Dungeonscape. It's reading through the articles. What um, stood out to me was that they never actually say ebook or PDF anywhere in the articles. So I don't know what the actual presentation of the material might be. It might actually be closer to the an app version of the compendium, mm-hmm. which is also might be why we where we haven't heard anything about the PDFs from Wizards of the Coast. They might be banking on people buying the books via Dungeonscape instead. I'm not sure if I 
want to digest a book digitally via an app yeah. in some way with PDF. Well, and that's at Gen Con, uh, Rudy and I had talked to Mike Merles, and Mike Merles had said that, that that's why they hadn't given any word on PDF release yet, because they want people to buy them through Dungeonscape, and they don't want to ruin Dungeonscape, you know, by having people buy it elsewhere, that they're sort of focusing on that. And also, the demo of Dungeonscape, which was in alpha at the time, it did look a lot more like a glorified rules compendium. Uh, so that, that, which was also very interesting. So I just, you know, who knows where it'll end up. That was alpha, so it could end up, you, maybe you can scroll through the whole PDF like a reader, or maybe you do have to sort of search out for the thing you want, kind of like the compendium. I guess we'll have to see. There sort of caught in the middle with Wizards of the Coast between, you know, uh, Wizards deals with typical software developers and they deal with ebook developers and Dungeonscape kind of falls in the middle yeah. is how they, is how they describe it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I will say that John's logic with them breaking up the purchases indicates a probably higher price point it makes me incredibly sad. <laughs> but I'm still happier than, because I think you're probably right, John, but I'm still happier than if they had said, well, it's going to be like DDI because I hated DDI. And mm-hmm. the fact that I can just pay once and be done with it for what I want makes me incredibly happy regardless of how much the price is. You know, in theory, I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Everything he had to say in that article, uh, because he didn't talk about price point in it, I think is perfectly reasonable and perfectly fair where, yes, everyone that's using it, you want them to actually pay for the service that they're using. You don't want it all to fall under the, I don't know, probably hefty amount that the DM might have to pay. So I think that makes sense. Uh, And the fact that they are sharing everything that the DM buys, you know, as far as the Dungeon uh, Master's Guide and the Monster Manual and all that stuff, uh, it seems like they are trying to set it up as fair and as equitably as possible, which is great. Yeah, I do think that they're the the way they're setting it up. You know, all, all this talk of price aside, the way they're setting it up does seem to be a, a way to facilitate play. Uh, you know, the idea that uh, the DM can share the information with players that a DM would need to share with players. I, I think that you know, to play the game, I think that's going to be very valuable. One thing that struck me is how they're talking about uh, you, you you buy the book and it goes to your account. And I just wonder what would happen if. Uh, DMs buy the book and then share the account with players. Mm-hmm. It just that seems an extremely easy thing to do. So I don't see why they're not just allowing the um, the DM to share players' books with players. You, they would know there'd be some you know checker to determine if you're already signed in somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'd imagine you would get signed out at the first location if you signed in at a second. I, I would guess, but the, you know that's sort of par for the course in terms of like if you think of Netflix or or Hulu. There's a limit to the number of times you can sign in. Right. Uh, and I, I'd imagine that that's sort of a solved problem to a large extent, so they don't talk about it as much. Uh, but I, I think that's probably the way they'll go. And it'll that, that'll be how they prevent the DM from sharing his account, his or her account from with everybody. I, too, am a little bit of the mind that I think it might be more than $10. And, you know, we're sort of, we're in an age where you can get PDFs for a lot of things, You can, you know, if you buy a 13th age, you get the, if you buy a hard copy, you get the PDF for free. I don't know. It seems a a little dated to be doing things this way, but I guess because they are, you know, the big dog in the pen, they can sort of demand this from people. But especially with Dungeonscape, 
launching after you know so many of the core rule books and things are going to be coming out it seems like people are are definitely going to pay for a lot of the big books twice and i i don't think that was necessarily calculated on wizard's part do you wish that they could put something in there where you could then get a copy of it for free especially since we've been waiting so long for the digital tools to come out uh, greg if they did something like that where they gave away the php for free the digital PHB rules for free to whoever had purchased the book. There's no way that they could give away the app for free. An application like this that's theoretically going to add all these capabilities like mapping and character creation and hopefully a lot more than that costs a lot of money. So they couldn't they couldn't do that in any way, I don't think. I like I like the model they're going with. Use the free app to kind of get people hooked in. Maybe they didn't get reached by the books and then make a little extra money that way. And we are getting a lot of stuff for free in PDF form in the basic rules, right? Like, you'll be able to search for Grapple in your basic rules document. You can download that and bring it on your tablet and that sort of thing, um, which is going to have a bulk of the stuff you would probably want to look up on the fly anyway. So I I do think that that will be serviceable in a lot of occasions. The PHP is already out, so we can... We could say, oh, well, they should, and I will actually say this, they should have thought about this beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they, could have, they could have gone about their release strategy more intelligently. Now, there are, I can say that as an armchair quarterback, and, uh, you know, I don't know anything about their internal process. I don't know anything about the politics. I don't know anything about the legal aspect of any of this. So, obviously, I'm speaking from a place of ignorance. But to me, there's no, there's no reason other than, they haven't put out a D&D book in a couple of years uh, that the PHP had to come out before Dungeonscape was ready. Because I think, you know, there are people who really like D&D, like are the five of us that are talking right now. Obviously, we're all going to buy the book because we want to play D&D as quickly as possible. And we want to read all the rules. We want to learn everything about the new system and really get going. Um, but frankly, I would have liked to have bought just the digital version. And I think... You know, a lot of people have tablets, a lot of people have laptops they bring to the table and having a digital version would have been beneficial. It would have been nice to have the choice, so to speak. Obviously, we could just wait until Zijinscape's out, but for the five of us that are talking, that's just not going to happen. One point we're not talking about is that the PDFs would also be handled by drive through stuff, mm-hmm. you know, the D&D classics, which is only somewhat affiliated with uh, Wizards of the Coast. And so we'd be coordinating drive-through stuff with Trapdoor Tech to distribute that sort of thing. And that's getting two completely different second-party companies to coordinate. And that might be um, particularly difficult to do, even for Wizards of the Coast. Extra hurdle. Uh, On the point about drive-through, I think it's important to note that some of the PDFs that, you know, for older editions and stuff are cheap or even free for D&D. And then some of them are inexplicably high for what you're getting. So, um, you know, so so it does further confuse what is the price point on this going to be exactly? Yeah, uh, Grappled is on page 290. Uh, and I say that having used the index in the back of the book. Being able to control F a document does not excite me very much. It's pretty easy to find something in a book with a good index, <laughs> which I think this has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, it's a convenient tool. I know Andrew Timmis loves it, but it's not worth two more dollars for me, let alone a $20 version on top of you know the 50 you already paid. If you bought the Player's Handbook, you shouldn't be paying as much as people who are getting the Player's Handbook for the first time through this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would hope 
if they figure out a way to do it, I would hope for a discounted price, not uh, a free service. It may be too late for them to actually do something like that. I, I think that's true as well. I have paid extra for PDFs and Hero Lab files. So I paid three times for the same content. I'm happy cool. to do it because it's it's a game I love, and I would probably do the same thing for fifth edition. Yeah, and I and I agree. You know that I think there are a lot of people who are going to do that. Um, but at the same time, with your most expensive edition of D and D ever, it would be nice if they could figure out some way to to not have to constantly do that. I think here, what's really going to matter is if this is a good tool, mm-hmm. right? Like, I didn't get DDI because I thought the tool sucked. When they got rid of the original char- yeah. character builder, I killed mm-hmm. my subscription. Because the Silverlight one, I didn't like it. Original character builder was amazing. So I voted with my dollars. I think here, even if the price is a little higher, it might behoove us, if the capabilities are good, to again vote with our dollars. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough call because how are we going to encourage this kind of stuff in the future if it fails in the present? Yeah. In part, this is not my words. This is me reading things on the internet and thinking they're intelligent and then repeating them on the podcast. Uh, so thank you, intelligent internet person. In the 90s, D&D had a huge chunk of the market share, and there were a lot fewer people playing these types of games. Uh, they've continued to grow at the same pace that they were growing in the 90s, but the market has increased a lot faster than, than D&D in particular has increased uh, so I think that that's one of the things they're going for with fifth edition is to try and, uh, to grow with the market rather than at the pace that D and D grows. And while I agree that there are certainly going to be gamers that will pay the extra $20. And I mean, honestly, if it's a good product, I'll probably pay an extra 20 or again, whatever. There's a certain point at which I won't pay, but you know, I'll pay more than zero if the product is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're trying to get people who have never played D and D to play D and D, you know, a $50 book or 30 on Amazon, but then an extra X dollars for a digital version of the same thing. That's not as consumer friendly. Uh, certainly the, the more hardcore players are going to, are going to enjoy this more regardless of price point. And I think that might be, end up being a problem. Character creation modes in Dungeonscape, uh, the title of a blog post written by Hobo the Delightful on September 5th on their blog. He basically goes on to say that they're going to have three ways for you to create a character. There's going to be a standard step-by-step build that pulls you through the process. Sounds very similar to the character builder from 4th. He says there's going to be a simple, which is meant for brand new players. And those are people who are going to answer a question in the style of the what color is your parachute sort of quiz. You know, which Game of Thrones character are you? Which Cosby child are you quizzes that you can find on BuzzFeed. Theo. Theo. <laughs> uh, I'm a Rudy myself, but oh. <laughs> but so you you fill this out. You know, you take this quiz, and then uh, it gives you a character based on your answers. Um, and then they also have a quick build, which is an automated character generator. You put in some parameters, like I want a half elf bard who is great at stealth, and then it will spit out something for you in seconds after you put in those parameters. So, uh, and that one is not going to be available at launch, but probably shortly after. The other thing that we're seeing is <laughs> they didn't implement a what they're calling a manual creation mode, which means you could go onto the sheet and input data directly. And they said, at least for the initial release, 
it wouldn't take appropriate advantage of the technology. However, then they asked users for what their thoughts were. Did they think it was important to have the capability? And if you read through the comments, overwhelmingly the answer is, yes, you fools, of course we want manual uh, control over our character sheets. Um, So that's what we're looking at here. Greg, why don't you kick off the conversation? I think the simple and the quick build sound like they could be a lot of fun. The, uh, the simple quiz seems like a great idea. It seems like those uh, choose-your-own-adventures that was in the red box, both 4th edition and oh, right. basic. <laughs> so that's, that's without actually being a choose-your-own-adventure. And, uh, and yeah. manual, lack of manual, I'm okay with that, so long as you can actually modify your character once it's being created. For Say your DM gives you a, a plus one to strength for reasons. It'd be great if you could actually add that into your character. As long as you can do that, lack of manual is fine. Yes, and I, you know, it's funny, in the alpha, you were able to, even during character creation, manually change your scores after you had rolled for them, and that's, or, or, you know, go beyond the point by, and that sort of thing. In the comments, they say it's available also in the current version. So, so I think we will see a lot of that stuff. I wonder if manual is more going in and, and really being able to write all over your character sheet and change things. I'm not sure. Uh, John? To a certain extent, it does depend on what they mean by manual. You're right, James. But I think from a, I think they're right from a, uh, a quality perspective and from a functionality perspective. The thing that will make character creation, the things that will make character creation good, cool, and or useful in this are going to be the, the three build formats that they're providing here. Um, you know, having a character sheet that you can you can edit every single box is not that different from just downloading a PDF, which I know exists online and putting it on your computer and typing the numbers in or printing out a character sheet and writing things in manually. Um, While that is great and that is useful and I understand why people want that functionality Mm -hmm. from a get this out the door, get it in beta scenario. And I do think it's when, when they're talking about uh, release, they're not necessarily talking about a date, but they're saying the, the date of release is the date when these are the things that are done and then we'll worry about everything else. Right. So um, from a purely functionality standpoint or a usefulness standpoint, it, it makes perfect sense to me that they would not put manual uh, creation mode in, in the beta release um, because it's just not, it's, it's not where this would shine. I do think that it would be a nice thing to see, though, because if you want to, say, build your character in Dungeonscape, and have be able to go through the standard creation but then your dm says all right everybody gets a free psionic power and you want to be able to add that to your character sheet uh you know that would be nice to do without the you know the app telling you you're a fighter what are you doing trying to give yourself psionic power right or even or even creating your own backgrounds i mean i we don't know how how manual manual is you know right if if this if if we're allowed to edit a background, like I know in your game, a lot of our backgrounds aren't right. what's on the list. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the most, besides price, the most interesting thing to me about Dungeonscape was how they were going to treat homebrew content because I play in the Marvelous Exploration Age campaign, which is full of homebrew content. <laughs> Little shout out there. Um, <laughs> And they and there's a lot of discussion in the comments on all three of the articles actually about homebrew, and they're not going to support it out of the gate, mm-hmm. but that is definitely on their list of things that they have to get done 
Um, so like custom backgrounds, they call out specifically, uh, I would hope that they would do different races and classes as well. I mean, I want, I want the full homebrew capabilities. I want to be able to make anything that I want and throw it in there. If I want to play, you know, like a Corgi Paladin, I want that to be possible. <laughs> and that actually kind of takes us into the third article, uh, the third post here, which is nice Thursday time for transparency in which they talk about, you know, the iOS beta has been released. They're working on web and Android. They give us a little update about where they are on those kinds of things, which is really nice to hear. They go back into discussing what their pricing model will probably be, which we sort of already covered in the other article. They say that uh, they'll be pricing everything to be competitive with what's currently available on the market. Um, again, could be that's a, that's a large range. Uh, but they also say that our offerings include tools that support the content. So I also wonder if there's going to be other stuff that you can buy to... You know that that's beyond what's in the hardcover rulebooks that that you can get just in Dungeonscape. I kind of don't know what that stuff would be. A lot of auxiliary content should be pretty easy to toss right in. If the new things that you're adding are just uh, new instances of backgrounds or new magic items or new things like that, uh, where you already have an easy way to handle them, could it could it be maybe mex- extra magic item packs, things like that? I, that's actually a good thought. I hadn't thought of that. I was trying to think of what sort of tools might they provide instead, but that that does make sense. Uh, Greg, you make a you make a good point, Ray, about uh, how they could bring in different uh, features. And James, you're talking about magic item packs. If uh, anyone who's familiar with maybe the old character builder uh, they had all that stuff just in text files it was xml but it was text files essentially Mm -hmm. so some enterprising folks figure out a way that they could inject their own xml files and have it be loaded in and you know bring all the homebrew content in there so i wonder if how uh trapdoor is kind of protecting themselves like kind of what what method they're using to get all this data around because they have to make it easy enough for themselves to add content further on but they don't want to make it so transparent that people could just drop files in a directory and oh, look i got this whole magic item pack for free yeah. i wonder how they're going to do that some of the more obvious in-app purchases uh dungeonscape might try to do uh, getting back to it would be the more dm content just like uh, generic maps adventure locations and the like mm-hmm. uh, i could also see uh proceed just uh, character portraits extra pictures <laughs> sounds <laughs> yeah. You yeah. want that really cool looking fighter? You have to pay an extra bit for that. <laughs> maybe more storage space, maybe for characters, because it is apparently stored. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, four characters at launch, one a little bit more, pay a bit extra. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense to include something like really great, you could only get through Dungeonscape, like a, a Chris Perkins written adventure that's awesome or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John. Yeah, I mean, uh, you actually uh, took the words right out of my mouth. Like, I know that there are. There are things that they haven't uh, produced, you know, in book form, but having a digital distribution system, you know, you don't have to worry about printing costs or uh, warehouse costs or thing or transportation costs, things like that that you have to worry about with a book. So it, it actually makes um, selling adventures possibly much easier. Also, like I, uh, one, one thing I thought of is this might even just this might fall into a homebrew or maybe doesn't, but like a map creation tool for DMs, it would be something that that's not mm. that's something you can't get in a book. Uh, yeah 
You know, that's probably what they'll try and do are things that you cannot get in book form. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses that also exists online. Open 24-7 on the web. They have D&D and other cool RPGs. Any edition, any game. Even out-of-print products. And at a discounted price. Out of control! Have a bunch of old game products collecting dust? Dangerous allergens! Noble Knight will buy the old stuff you aren't using anymore! Looking at you, Indiana Jones RPG! So go to noblenight.com and get buying and sell it! Take back your life! And tell them the Tone Show sent you! Okay, guys, we're back, and we're going to shift gears from Dungeonscape a little bit, and we're actually going to talk about a pretty big announcement in the D&D world. Uh, our friends over at The Examiner have reported that uh, Wizards of the Coast has hired Sasquatch Game Studio to write two books that are coming out on March 17th, 2015. Uh, they include... The Adventurer's Handbook, uh, and both of these products look like they're supposed to support the very next storyline in uh, that, you know, they're going to do with the tabletop game. Right now we're in the Tyranny of Dragons storyline. Seems like the next storyline we're going to be going to is this Elemental Evil storyline. Um, and so uh, Sasquatch Game Studio, which is Rich Baker, Stephen Schubert, and David Noonan, all guys who used to work for WotC, guys whose names you've seen on a lot of books and a lot of people probably know, um, they are going to be putting out first this Adventurer's Handbook, which is about $40, $39.95 here in the States. Um, and there are going to be essentially new skills, abilities, spells, backgrounds, races, and class builds and archetypes related to this elemental storyline. It seems like we're going to be harnessing the powers of the elements. And then uh, they're going to put out one big super adventure the same day that costs $49.95, uh, <laughs> quite an expensive uh, adventure, if I do say so myself, but it sounds like there's going to be a lot. They're calling it a super adventure, uh, ties into the storyline, uh, sounds actually very similar to the Tyranny of Dragons storyline. Uh, there are four prophets, each of them has a weapon and is building a temple, and it's possibly trying to, you know... Uh, I don't know, summon maybe their, their elemental prince. You know, each prophet corresponds to one of the princes of elemental evil, and they have cults behind them. Um, and it sounds like there's going to be crazy dungeon crawls through these ridiculous temples that they're building. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Um, so hopefully at $50, it definitely will be. Uh, so <laughs> why don't we kick things off here, and uh, we'll start with you, Greg. Tell us your thoughts about these products that are coming out. It sounds like I'm glad I'm not a DM because paying $50 for the Temple of Elemental Evil, reskinned and altered a little bit, sounds a little ridiculous to me. <laughs> Maybe it's not going to be quite like that, but I mean, I'm really torn. I like the classics, right? Keeping the Borderlands, Elemental Evil, Against the Giants. All these things are great. We've done them before. Let's make up some new adventures, guys. And I mean, 
with the Adventurer's Handbook, uh, what I would like is a middle ground between $40, which, woof, and, I mean, Pathfinder, they give away free source books for their Adventure Paths. It doesn't sound like it's as detailed, right, as, um, it like sound like you get as much content in the Pathfinder one as you do in this Adventurer's Handbook, but 40 bucks is a lot of money for something that's specific for an adventure, I think. Yeah, well, and I would guess that we're going to see stuff that can definitely carry over into people's home games. Um, although it does sound to me like Wizards does all this talking about, we're not going to be doing splat books for this edition, and it seems like one of the first things they're talking about is essentially a, a splat book. Um, here, here. <laughs> let's go ahead with you, Dave. What do you think about all this news? Well, just the nitpick in the article actually says it's the Elemental Evil Adventurer's Handbook, which calls that out there. <laughs> mm, so yes. they might have a, you know, later adventure handbooks with slightly different names. So yes. it does sound very much like the splat book tied to elements. Right, right. Yeah, it sounds like Heroes of the Elemental Chaos uh, reskinned with a different story, right? Yeah. So by, by we can expect to see like Genasi and elemental sorcerers, primordial warlocks, and stuff like that in it. But at forty bucks, I really hope it's like two hundred pages plus. It needs to be a hefty book. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It needs to be a hefty book, and I do think too. Greg, you hit the nail on the head when you said, "Is this just going to be? Are we? Is this return to the return of the?" Temple of Elemental Evil again? Is that what we're doing? You know? Um, so it would be nice to, to see some new story kind of thing show up. Uh, I mean, it could be very awesome, right? If it's 200 pages, I am very willing to pay 40 bucks to have 40 pages of a whole bunch of new mechanics and story. I think that would be awesome, you know? Um, so, John, what are your thoughts here? Well, um, so I didn't buy the the Court of the Dragon Queen because I'm not a uh, wonderful GM like uh, like like James here. If this fifty dollar book is comparable to both of those books combined in size and scope, then I mean, it's You're not uh, it's not unreasonable based on you know what's already there. Right. If you think about it, right, you're actually saving ten dollars. Um, yeah, and, and of course, you know, we could get into dollars per page, and we shouldn't because we don't know how many pages it is, and we don't know how many pages the second half of uh, Tyranny of Dragons storyline is. We don't know any of these things, but you know, it, it makes sense looking at it from that point of view. Also, the one thing about the Adventures Handbook being thirty nine ninety five, um, I wonder if this is a byproduct of them using third-party developers because all these developers are startups right like they have to be concerned with making sure that they have money to pay people like they're not a subsidiary of a giant toy company like hasbro right they can't they can't afford to lose any money um if they do they just stop existing so i wonder if maybe that's why the price point is higher than maybe we might think Splat books are kind of derogatory just because they do have the, the, the power creep and also the option creep rules just get more and more bloated. And a big part of that also comes from just not being able to find the content you need. Mm-hmm. And just like, well, what book do I need for this? What, um, what, um, 
it's my fighter needs new powers. Which book should I look in? I might need to look in the Dragon Magazine or like, you know, Martial Power 1 or 2. But knowing that if you wanted to build an elemental character, you just need to go to this particular book actually makes that a little easier. And if you're not making an elemental character, you're not doing something tied to the primordials or even worrying about that particular campaign, you don't even need to look at that book. It actually almost reduces the number of options you need to consider when making your character, which is kind of the best way to make a splat book, in my opinion. They didn't actually say no more splat books, right? They said if they're going to have a, uh, if they're having books come out, they're going to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that the actually, you know, a forty dollar adventurer's handbook, if it has a, you know, if it's just full of options that are independent of what's already in the player's handbook, for instance, I think that's a big event type book, and it's the splat book for the entire encounter season, right? So I mean, that's I think that's sort of what they were talking about in the first place. So I think it does fit in that model. Yeah, these books are expensive. But I remember at the start of fourth edition, there was a $30 book every month for (laughs) it felt like two or three years straight, right? Um, In this case, you know, everything's coming out. uh, The DMG will come out in December, and then we won't get anything until March, which is three months after that. Also, looking at the creative team on this book, right? Like, for Tyranny of Dragons, we got our, our you know, Cobalt Press people, Wolfgang Bauer, Steve Winter, who are big names in the industry. You're going to have Rich Baker and Dave Noonan and Steve Schubert working on these. I also wonder if this is like... Um, you know, to, to put it in some modern day hipster terms, like is this, these are like artisan products, right? These are master storytellers who are known in the industry for all of the great work that they do. Um, you know, even if it is a reskinning of the Temple of Elemental Evil, I bet it's going to be a great product. I have a lot of faith in these guys. So it might be something that is worth shelling out 90 American or in Dave's case, 1 million Canadian dollars for, you know, uh, when, when these things come out, um, because they're, they're made by master craftsmen, right? The quality of these things are good because they're taking their time. And, and they've said that, right. They want to get it right. They want to put things out that are, are quality and they're not just rushing to get it out because they want this to be a thing that lasts. And that's good news to me. It's like, well, it's, I miss the days when the Canadian dollar was a parody with the U.S. <laughs> but um, looking at the encounter season, it does look like we'll have uh, two kind of big adventure paths, to use the term, or uh, was it super adventures every year? So two splat books every year, even if they are $40, isn't that bad. It's, I, you know, it's easy enough to afford. You just save up for the next, uh, save up every six months to buy the next big book because you know what's coming. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, again, it beats if you spend 80 bucks a year, it's different than if you were spending 20 or 30 dollars every month of the year, right? It's it's actually a lot less money. I think the difference is that it would not be spending 20 or 30 dollars a month personally. I think even 80 dollars would be a year is is great. Because I'd like to point out for James that only he's going to be spending $90 on this stuff because I'm not a DM. Um, <laughs> but I would be more than happy to spend $40 to get it on my Dungeonscape. Mm-hmm. And then not, not have to worry about the rest of it. 
Yes, yeah, and so that'll be interesting, right? Because hopefully by March, some form of Dungeonscape will be out, and you'll be able to use it and test it out, and it's it's going to be a question of, you know, is it, maybe it's even less, right, if you if you purchase it through Dungeonscape. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited for uh, an, an elemental type of sorcerer and an elemental type of warlock, which you know, you just know they're coming. And uh, I think that'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, and I'm excited for the plain-touched races that we're probably going to see. Let's talk about where people can find you, Ray Fallon. All right, you can text me at 856-427-8821. Text only, no calls, please. Okay. (laughs) All right, Uh, so there you go. Go ahead and text Ray Fallon. First person to text Ray Fallon will get a dollar mailed to them from me. You must text Ray your address. (laughs) All right. Uh, Dave Gibson, where can people find you? I run a webcomic and blog over at, uh, called 5-Minute Workday, over at uh, 5mwd.com. And I often share blogs on uh, the Wizards of the Coast community site. And I'm also on Twitter uh, as at D&D Jester. All right, guys, and check him out. Uh, I really enjoy the webcomic, by the way. It's great. Thank you. Uh, John Fisher, where can people find you? Uh, first, I would just like to say that, James, you owe me a dollar because... <laughs> I do have uh, a text from John Fisher. <laughs> and you, and you better believe my address is in there. So I'll be, I'll be ready to collect at any time. James, if people want to follow me on Twitter, uh, once every several months, I will make some snide comment about the Emmys, maybe. Or um, I think once I tweeted about uh, Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So, you know, if those are the types of things that interest you every six months, you should definitely definitely follow me on Twitter at The Last Fisher. And that's F-I-S-C-H-E-R. This is, this is vitally important. Greg, where can people find you? Well, I finally got one of them Twitters, Ooh. so you can catch me at NTS underscore QPOP. And if you'd like to play some Dota or Nosgoth, I've got a few uh, extra Nosgoth invites. You can catch me on Steam at that same address, NTS QPOP. Guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. It's in the show notes. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition campaign setting I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to Ray, Greg, David, and John. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable. Hey guys, James Castle here. I just wanted to add on to this podcast. You are not done with me quite yet. I just wanted to let you know that the day after we finished recording this podcast, Trapdoor Technologies announced that they were going to begin web open beta for people who had signed up for web and also people who had signed up to Android. They could transfer over to Android later. We will be covering all of that in the coming days, but I figured it was important to get that on this podcast as well. All right.
keep on rolling.